are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Depression Session at Downtown Radio. Today, we have with us in the studio, Amber D. She's an actress, performer, and stand-up comedian. We'll be in with Amber in just a moment, but first, I'd like to talk about happy. The other day, I felt happy, and it was really strange because I realized I had not felt happy in a long, long time. And I was trying to figure out, like, what's different from, like, having a good time at a party or with friends or, you know, what's the difference between that and feeling happy? And it, it was it was weird because I just – I was hanging out with my mom, putting together a puzzle. We were just, you know, eating – drinking a little coffee and eating a little bit. And I was whistling and feeling good in a different way. It was just different. And it made me really, really both, I felt wonderful and I felt a little sad. I thought it's been so long since I felt like this. It's been so long, but it's not that I haven't enjoyed anything. I have enjoyed things, but I've not felt happy. So I decided to look up some definitions. This is what I do in my spare time. (laughs) And the dictionary.com definition is delighted, pleased, or glad as over a particular thing. And I thought, I'm not feeling delighted, pleased, or glad over anything in particular. I'm just feeling pleased. I'm just, that was a really, you know, good definition. Pleased and delighted. A gladness in my heart. And the other definition was characterized by or indicative of pleasure, contentment, or joy. And that was it. It was a lighthearted joy. Something that felt, I felt carefree. I felt worry-free. I felt depression-free for the first time in maybe two years. And then I went over to my boyfriend's house and walked in and I said, I feel happy today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he he just smiled and he said, okay. And I said, but I have not felt happy in a couple of years. I've, I've felt it, it's a different feeling. And he was asking me actually a week before, What's, what is, I said, I, I'm happier single. <laughs> this is stuff you should tell your boyfriend, but I was just talking about, I am someone who feels happiest single. And he said, what is that contentment or because, you know, it's hard to be in a relationship. You're, you have to negotiate your feelings with someone else and think about the way that you interact. And there's more stress maybe to a relationship. He said, maybe you just feel more content. And I said, no, I feel happy when I happier when I've been single versus any time I've been in a relationship and the relationships have been good. I've been very fortunate to have good partners who are loving and caring and try their best. I mean, nobody's perfect, but try their best and people who I feel appreciate me. And that's, I think what you can ask for in life, somebody who appreciates you. It is the difference is when I am single it sounds selfish, but I only worry about me. My time constraints are all about me and my artwork. And as an artist, to be able to concentrate completely on your work, concentrate completely on whatever my next project is, whether it's walking across the country or transforming myself into Paris Hilton, which I did one time, kind of a funny project. Anyway, when I'm concentrating on my artwork, I feel, cause he said, maybe, maybe you felt happy, but not fulfilled because relationships are very fulfilling. 
And I said, no, I feel fulfilled whenever I'm, I've got a project. And then in the breaks in between, I feel carefree. And my projects usually last a year, six months. They're long-term projects where I have some task that I do. And as an artist, it's really important for me to work on my work. The thing about a relationship is there's someone else that you're thinking about, somebody else who is a consideration. And basically, the only problem with a relationship is I want to see them. I want to be with them. I want to, I want to touch them and love them and be around them, which for some reason, it, it takes something away from that worry free, wander around, get on your bike, go do a big project. It's funny. And most people, I think, feel happiest in a relationship and kind of sort of unhappy not in a relationship. That it's more of a struggle when they're alone. They feel lonely. They feel adrift. There's no one who loves them or no one who clearly loves them. Of course, there are people that love them. But something about being in a relationship usually does produce contentment. And I wish I could capture the words that I said to him the other night because he said, I totally, completely understand you. And I'm really touched by what you're saying because he is also someone who works hard and has big projects and really loves what he does. And he understands why I might not be available all the time, why I have to work crazy hours on things. He really gets that. It's really beautiful. And I love being in a relationship with him. But sadly, like the, the, I am more, I'm more, it's, it is a more, it's a bigger thing to be in love and to be with someone. You are a better person. You learn more, you grow more through a relationship than you will in any other context. There's something about those love relationships, those close relationships with a partner that make you grow and make you expand your understanding of yourself and other people. That doesn't happen when you're off on your own. And I, I think that some of that stretching, it, it does, it's hard. Some of that stretching really makes you question who you are, what you care about, and how you are in the world. Because someone else's happiness is tied to yours and your happiness is tied to somebody else's. So in contemplating all that, it, it sounds lousy, but I, I'm i like carefree, fun, happy-go-lucky, happy-go-lucky mm-hmm. when I'm single. I'm girl about town, just goofing around and, you know, or being serious about some art project and completely obsessed with it, not worrying about anything else. And so I think it's that little component of love and worry and, and desire that actually makes me feel less happy, <laughs> which I, I don't know. It's a strange thing. And then... The other day when I felt happy, it was not because, you know, it's, it's unrelated to the relationship part. It was just something that I was talking to him about, about happiness in general and where I feel most happy. And it's when, what I felt the other day was a little bit of that delighted, glad, carefree. And when I talked to him, to him about it, he teared up a little bit because he knows how long it's been since I felt that carefree, it, it's different than just having a good time. It's something deep inside where you feel like you can take a big breath, like the weight's off your shoulders. And I, in that moment, I, I just thought, I really feel good. And I wish I felt this way more often. And then it was just gone. It was just fleeting, just poof and gone. 
And so I decided to look up the history of happiness because I thought, what what is this happiness? What is this thing that we're kind of obsessed with in American culture? And the Harvard Review had an article called The History of Happiness. And I pulled out a couple of things from that. They say, the fact is that the commitment to happiness in Western culture is relatively modern. Until the 18th century, Western standards encouraged, if anything, a slightly saddened approach to life with facial expressions to match. As one dour protestant put it, God would encourage a person who allowed no joy or pleasure but a kind of melancholy demeanor and austerity. So tied to our Protestant background was this idea that a serious godly person would not be happy. (laughs) And that changed dramatically with the 18th century and the values of the Enlightenment. Alexander Pope declared, Oh, happiness! Our beans end and aim. While one John Byram urged that it was the best thing one could do to be always cheerful and not suffer any sullenness. The change here was double-edged and has remained so. On the one hand, it's now perfectly legitimate to seek happiness. On the other, not being happy, or at least not seeming to be, was a problem to be avoided. And then the final thing that they noted was the smiling American has become a stereotype two centuries ago as a new nation sought to justify its existence by projecting superior claims to happiness. So if you're interested in reading more about happiness, you can look the history of happiness by the Harvard Review. I just thought it was really interesting that it's kind of a newfangled thing. So today we have with us Amber D. She's an actress, performer, and stand-up comedian. Welcome, Amber. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me on your show today. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here. I'm excited, too. So what do you want to share with us today? Well, I just i am here because I I wanted to share my story about depression. Um, But I do want to just commemorate this month. Uh, The January 12th was the six-month passing of my grandfather, who died of a massive heart attack um, back in July uh, 12th, 2015. And it was really a tragic time for my, my family because it was unexpected. My grandmother is his wife was also ailing in her health. And he was the rock, you know, of our family and all of our acquaintances and associates uh, or people associated with my family. He was just this like silent rock. He took everything in and loved us just the same, regardless of who we were or what we did. Wow. That's my grandmother was that person in my family and I still grieve her. And she actually, her birthday is this this week. That's beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. I really feel connected to that. My aunt posted a picture of her and she looked so beautiful. <laughs> she was like in her fifties and she just looked so great. And oh. my cousin and I talked the other evening about missing granny. Sure. sure. There's always someone in your family that holds everybody together mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. just offers support and unconditional love. And, it, and I didn't realize them. that till after his passing, especially with a couple of hidden issues in, in the, the family. I, I you know, we started coming out, but I know that he was, you know, that's what he was in our family. He was the rock and the support. Yeah. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. I appreciate your (laughs) condolences. And I'm so glad that you shared with us on the radio because it's, it's, when you lose someone, it doesn't, it, it's funny. It doesn't go away. And I, my dad died and it's been four years. It's like, why am I not okay with this? I'm never going to be okay with it. He was the first, um, first close family member or friend I've lost in my my lifetime. So that was really, really hard too. And after soon after that, I also lost, lost a high school friend of mine. So that, yeah, that, that didn't help things, but yeah. And thank you for your, 
And I'm glad that you were able to come in on the show despite your, your heartbreak. <laughs> no, I wanted to come. I wanted to share my story because I know a lot of people out there need to hear it and will relate to me and, and, and be able to heal through, through my story. Thank you. And I know also that you're a comedian. <laughs> yes, I am. Well, I'm a, I'm a mo- woman of many talents and I juggle many, many things in my life. And so I'm in grad school. I am working two part-time jobs with children with autism. And, and, and in light of that, I'm also passionate about performing arts, particularly acting, comedic acting, dancing up comedy. And so that's kind of my out when I'm, I'm feeling uh, just a little too crazed with my, my job and my school. I had one practice session, which you weren't at, where, where three of the people, all three, had been in theater and found comfort in it. Oh, yeah. It's very, it's very, um, what is it? The, I, the word the other day I thought of was cathar- catharsis. Mm. So to, um, to just be on stage and expressing yourself, but also expressing yourself through a character. If it's in acting or in stand up, you're still, still playing a character or, or character of yourself. Yeah. So on that note, I'd like you yeah. to express your character as yourself. Sure. So Amber, tell us the story of your depression. All right. Well, so Laura, uh, when I was a, a young woman, I, well, I grew up in a family, born again Christian believers. I, you know, I felt love. I, I felt God was always, always in my life and just uh, that affection and love was from my family and my friends and my church. So, uh, for probably through my, maybe junior high and through high school, there were times though I started feeling just very emotional, just, just so much so. My family, my family started calling these times during the, like the time, certain times during the month, my emotional episodes, Amber's emotional episodes. And like, for lack of a better word, there might have been other names for it. But, uh, and so this is the times where I just kind of, you know, maybe shut myself off or I just focused on my studies or I, I, I don't know. I didn't really know like what to put with it. I kind of thought it was maybe typical or normal for a young woman. But as I grew older, I got in, I got, got out of college. That was just real trying for me, trying to struggle and, and graduate college. Cause I was, when I, I dubbed myself as, as an overachieving procrastinator. <laughs> and so I know that's an oxymoron, but if you want to see, you know, me in a nutshell, if I don't have 10 things on my plate and I'm um, stalling it, all 10 of them, then it's not, it's not life for me. It's not living. <laughs> so after, let's see, um, after college, I started working and still, you know, was having these, these moments of just emotional distress and, and then things would clear. And, you know, like you were saying, I, I have my happy times. I had my, my happy moments and sometimes they almost felt fleeting, but I, I also tried to seek out happiness and, just, just, uh, the wrong arenas of life through, uh, other people, through men that have come, you know, through my life in, in just other, you know, destructive, self-destructive ways that, you know, I thought that weren't hurting anyone but myself. And thinking back on it, you know, that was hurting my family. I was hurting relationships with my family and friends. And so then, uh, I guess it was several years ago. I I just knew something wasn't right with me and my health wise. And so I was just working and I mean, it's, uh, in human services and they, I was just overworked, stressed out. I mean, it was, it was crazy. You, can, you could have, I mean, people regularly, regularly called me a workaholic, 
But I enjoyed what I did. I loved the families and I loved the the kiddos I worked with. And so I did it for them. And regardless of, you know, what it did to me physically or spiritually or mentally, I just pushed, pushed forward because I feel that, that bringing them some relief in their sorrow because I worked with developmental disabled and delayed children, bringing the family some relief in their grief made me feel more jo- like joyful and at peace, even though maybe in my head I was at, at, at wit's end. Then I, so I, like I said, I just, just felt something wasn't wrong physically. And what happened is I started bloating out in my abdominal area. And at first I didn't really, I didn't really think much about it. I just thought it was maybe hormonal fluctuations and the stress. And so that's kind of what I passed it off as, but years went by and then I started getting um, pregnancy comments and to the point where Every couple of weeks, someone would, would comment like, Oh, oh, congratulations. How, how far are you along? And, Oh, you, you're, you're pregnant. And so I, I just, <laughs> I had to laugh this off. Honestly, that's the only thing that ever, you know, got me through was like the comedic, the comedic side of it because I'm just like, I'm this fake pregnant woman walking around. Like I should be taking advantage of this. You know, I should be, you know, taking seats on buses and I should be like taking those pregnant mom spots. But no, I'm an honest person. And so I didn't go there because, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I obviously didn't feel pregnant and I wasn't pregnant. So I could still get around physically. I've just had this, like bloated growing stomach and you'd think that I would have gone in like initially when I first started hearing the comments and I actually kind of contributed to maybe um, a variety of things stress eating or binging or things like that when I when I started noticing that I wasn't like getting heavy in any other areas of my body and that's kind of when I started questioning it. But you have to understand, too, when I was a child, we didn't really see many doctors growing up. And it's not that we were, like, against, like, anti-doctors. We went to, you know, we went to dentists and we went to doctors for, like, the extreme stuff. But as far as uh, just the common cold or flu or anything, that was um, that was the, the story. So getting back to my, my story, just real quick, I was bloating out and I had someone tell me, you need to go in, you need to see someone. And after I came back from Thailand was when I really hit. I was violently ill with food poisoning, and I know exactly when I got it. If you guys go overseas and are invited to a potluck, don't feel offended to turn down the food <laughs> because I was so guilty to, to not accept this. But I, but I knew in my being, I said, you know, I prayed because I mean, I'm a believer, and I was like, Lord, like, don't let this kill me. Well, He didn't let it. Ki- he didn't let it kill me. But I did get violently, violently ill and violently, violently sick, the flu and nausea and the works. So that's my friend pushed me. She's like, I will drag you there, kicking and screaming to my specialist. Because before this, like, I didn't say, but I did go to physicians before, like, I think four or five, I counted about maybe four, a handful of physicians. They were telling me, oh, they would also say, just, you know, confirm my, my, my beliefs. Oh, it's, it's just stress. You're just bloated. It's, you're hormonal. I've had, I had ones that say, Oh, you're not pregnant. Uh, or, or are you sure you're not sexually active? And I said, Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a virgin. So I'm pretty sure that you have to have sex to be pregnant. If, if I, if I know my biology. And so I got things like this left and right. And some women even went to the point of like calling it my, wanting, referring me to a belly wrap. So I, I don't know. It's something that's like sweats off fat. And after she's been, had been pregnant, a doctor, my friend, my, my friends and I, my friends and family would like 
joke about it though and like call it my alien baby. Amber's gonna have this like alien baby that's seven, you know, seven years just gestational. So I know that's kind of the comedic side you guys were waiting for. It just took a little time to get up to it. Uh, another another time I spent like 10 minutes in the kitchen with my sister and we called it my food baby. Just going on like, oh, it's my food baby. I just eat too much. I need to cut back on those, those ding-dongs and cookies. But I knew that wasn't, you know, that wasn't the case. So I went to the specialist and he had me go in for an ultrasound, which was one of many things. I just it was like... Lord, lead me to the right, uh, you know, lead me to the right, the test, because I don't have the money for this. Even with my insurance, it was still high, high deductible. So I went to the ultrasound, and I knew the technician didn't even have to say anything. Just by her look and just by the fact that she wanted to talk to the radiologist, something was up. Well, my GI specialist I went to later that day came back, and he said, yeah, you have a massive ovarian cyst. This thing has got to be the size of a football from your diaphragm to your pelvis and I freaked I mean like I I knew that God was like with me and he was going to provide for me that whole time and I just was like oh my gosh and so he advised me to get a cat scan and then go to a gynosurgeon and I put out like I blasted like prayer requests all over Facebook, social media, my church, my friends and families across the state, across the nation, across the world. And I was like, I'm going to get through this. I believe in this. And so I went to the gynosurgeon and he said that it was going to be a simple procedure because it was fluid filled. So it was just going to be a simple in and out laparotomy. And I was like, thank God. You know, thank goodness, you know, Lord, you are my savior, Christ. I love you. And so I went in and I went in for it. And again, you know, I was just praying all around. He said, and the thing is, I could have died from this thing. It was, it, it was, it was, it could have been a fatal experience. It could have twisted, burst the works, you know, he said, because it had gotten so big and pushing all my organs aside and everything. It just didn't have room to do anything but grow. Anyway, uh, I went for the, the procedure and again, like, you know, I was just blessed throughout the whole thing and got out. Recovery time was like less than two weeks. And I've heard, you know, six to eight weeks stories and months or or months of waiting for a surgery. But the time I was diagnosed to the time that I was recovered was like less than two months. Easy. Because I was adamant. And I know that it was by the power of prayer. And because I had the best, like the best of the best specialists I had been referred to, I looked them up and, you know, they were great. But so since then, though, I have been taking care of myself healthy, health-wise, and realizing that, you know, this depression, it wasn't necessarily tied to my my cyst because I had been having it before. And it's more of a, like a menstrual um, cycle, severe PMS is what I've, what I've contributed, contributed it to, not, a, not having a diagnosis, but still getting the right vitamins, supplements, um, even emergency supply of medications. And, and I'm also in a support group with my church. So that is like helped wonders. And I mean, I can tell you, I still suffer. I still struggle month by month, but I know that I have friends and family members out there that are going to love and support me regardless of how I'm feeling or what I'm doing. And so I just want to thank all of them because I love them dearly. And I love my church and my my foundation in Christ is really what, what pulled me through all of this. And that's what brings me happiness and brings me my joy day in and day out. Thank you, Amber. <laughs> Thanks for your story. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. And um, I'm just glad to share it today. Yeah, there's there's this connection that you have both with goes through the whole thing of like faith and family. And I know you had sent me a message earlier just talking about like how many family members a there are. <laughs> Between my father's mother and stepfather's side, there's got to be like close to a hundred of us. <laughs> it's, and we're, and you know, yeah, so we're all fairly close here. Um, in, in our own separate ways, we struggle, we have issues. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, family is what, you know, and loved ones, fam- family and friends is what you lean on. Yeah. And last week I was talking about my experience with like hormonal paranoia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think there, there are these biological things we struggle with that actually change how we feel. Mm-hmm. And we like to kind of pretend that we're all just in our mind. <laughs> And that our body is sort of subsequent mm-hmm. and we're in charge, like the, like we see it, like this is the main processing center up here in our brain and the rest is just following along. Yeah. But we actually are a mind, body, spirit connection. And oh, when something, sure. when some for part sure. of it is, is off, like your hormones, the rest of it just follows along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's not even necessarily like they, they did a hormone test and it's not even necessarily that you have to have a chemical imbalance. It was my sensitivity because mm-hmm. I'm, I am a very emotional person and I have sensitivities to the hormone fluctu- fluctuations because they said your blood work, your hormones, they all came out fine. Even when doctors were saying like you have to be either wanting to get pregnant, looking to get pregnant or menopausal before we can give you these tests. And I was like, Really? Like, even with insurance? Don't you want to get paid? <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, it was just crazy to me that they, like, the general physicians, even, until I went to the specialists, they were blowing it off. Like, yeah. nothing. And it which it aggravated me, but also kind of d- distressed me and depressed me. So my faith in the medical community was lost for a while there. Yeah. And that's, that's another common theme is that sometimes you have to ask for help in mm-hmm. so many places, in so many mm-hmm. ways, and persist before you get it. Mm-hmm. And, and in your case, it was a physical. Oh, yeah. That's, that was the turning point. I was like, I'm, I'm not going through this again. Yeah. And do you think that affected your experience of depression? The, like having this physical ailment? Of course, because like my self image was just shot. Like it was destroyed because I, you know, even like, even though I was dating and I had boyfriends through the meantime, I still felt very, um, very self-conscious about my body and yeah. my physical with them. And, and, and again, like they accepted me and regardless, they, they kind of knew the story and the situation. But then when I wasn't dating, like in between relationships, I was not comfortable to talk to men or because, you know, <clears throat> or not, not comfortable to even get out and socialize. So yeah, that, yeah. that was very effective. Um, very much a negative for me. Yeah. And then, you know, the ways that you looked for help were those mind, body, spirit, sure. family connection. Sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, I mean, I just like, I mean, if you want to hear about my salvation story, I will tell them I don't push it on anyone and I don't condemn anyone for their, their religion, sexuality, um, or anything and what, so be it. I have faith and values that I live by. And if you want to hear about them, then, great. I'll, I'll be happy to explain, you know, but I, I don't feel that I, I need to push it anything on anyone because God's going to, God's going to provide for us all. And he's going to, he's going to work in us regardless one way or not. That is a perfect way to end the show. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for being you. on the show. Oh, Laura, this has been great. <laughs> all right. Goodbye. See you next week. Bye-bye. 
I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.